you're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit www.oasiswaterloo.org. So, um, basics. Uh, this is the last, if you remember, in a series of five uh, sessions that we've done on the basics that sit behind what Oasis actually is and what Oasis Church is and what our theology is all about. Our theology, our philosophy of life is all about. And um, for some of you who have been part of the church for a long time, there'd be bits of this that you recognize, in fact, perhaps bits of it that you could say off heart. And But the reason we're doing this over these last five weeks is because it's really important that we're all on the same page. We all get the big picture. Because if you don't get the big picture, it's sometimes hard to get the small picture. I've just finished writing a book uh, about uh, the Apostle Paul. It's called The The Lost Message of Paul. And in it, I at one point, I say this. It's impossible to really understand any writer from the words they use. We think that the words people use um, convey meaning. They convey some meaning. But a word can only be understood in the context of a sentence. And the sentence can only be understood in the context of a paragraph. And the paragraph can only be understood in the context of the whole novel or the whole book. But here's the really important thing. The whole book can only be understood in the context of the author the people that wrote it, the person that wrote it. To illustrate that in the book, I simply uh, use this little phrase. This little phrase goes like this. I'd love a hot dog. I'd love a hot dog. Now, if you're a Palace supporter like me, and you're at a match and it's half time, and I say to you, I'd love a hot dog, the very context of where we are and who I am tells you what a hot dog is. But if we're at Crofts and we both keep poodles and I'm looking at a prize-winning dog with you and I'd say, I'd love a hot dog, it means something entirely different. We can yank words. It means a, a hot dog that wins, not like my poodle that loses. In other words, language is altogether changed by the context of the author and the speaker. One of the problems that we have very often is we read the Bible, or for that matter any other text, the text of a politician actually, and we read the text out of context with the life and the commitments and uh, we decontextualize. And then we end up in a real old muddle. What we are going to do uh, this morning, in just a few minutes actually, is look at um, the context into which the Bible uh, was written. And this is the last of those five uh, talks. Now, the last four Sunday mornings, what's happened is we've... um, We've finished with a time for questions. So, you know, in 20 minutes the speaker's spoken and there's time for questions. There's been loads of things going on this morning, so we're not going to do that. That's not because I don't want to answer questions. But this evening at 6.30 in the coffee shop, when we have that kind of relaxed get-together, then come along then if you want to ask your questions, as many and as deep as you want to go. So, we're uh, looking this morning at 
this whole theme that Dave's really introduced to us, togetherness. It's about we, and it's not about me. Our problem is simply this, that the Western society in which we're all bathed, even if we don't live in the West, we're, based in we- we're bathed in Western values. Our problem is that these Western values are, are individualistic and introspective. In other words, our world is centered in me all of the time. You can see this really clearly if you have, for instance, Muslim friends. I have a lot of Muslim friends. I'm very fortunate in that way. You can see this if you go to a party, for instance, with someone who's not from the West. If you go to a party and you meet someone at a party or a reception who's from the West, check this out. You'll probably know this is true already. What happens within minutes when you get that person talking about themselves, because the art is to get them talking rather than listen to you, ask them what, uh, about themselves, a Westerner will soon tell you um, what about themselves. They tell you where they work, what they do. They tell you what their hobbies are. They tell you that they love running or they love sailing. They tell you about their gym. They tell you about their hobbies. They tell you about where they went last week. They tell you about themselves. If you ask someone out of a different culture, out of a a Muslim culture, actually about themselves, what you discover, check it out this week, what you discover after minutes is they tell you about their mum. They tell you about their dad. They tell you about their grandfather. They tell you about all the great things that their grandfather or their grandmother has done and achieved. They tell you about the village where their family lives. They tell you about what their family's put into the life of that village, the charity they've set up, the school they've developed, or whatever it might be. They're taught with pride about the whole community. And at the end, you know everything about their community and much less about who they were. That's not because they're trying to hide themselves from you. It's to do with an altogether different orientation in life than our Western individualism and our Western introspectiveness. Our problem is our individualistic, introspective Western worldview, and it's overriding concern for ourselves which when it boils over into Christianity, becomes an overriding concern for our personal salvation, which is altogether, say this carefully, which is altogether divorced from the Bible's socio-historical moorings. This stranglehold, the one that I'm talking about, has in actual fact, in my view, completely and utterly blinded us to the breadth and the orientation and the depth of the Bible's message. In other words, our Western introspection and individualism has led to us wrongly interpreting the Bible at core. It, of course, is a series of ancient documents. You know, the other week we talked about how the Bible is a library. It's lots of documents. It's not one document. It's a series of ancient documents produced in a very, very different culture to ours. 
And when we impose our Western assumptions on it, which we can't help doing because it's the air that we breathe, the culture that we live in, it's the sea that we swim in, when we impose our Western virtues and culture on it, we end up misled. We make all the wrong assumptions. And chief amongst all of these misunderstandings is simply our modern Western worldview of the self. The ancient Mediterranean culture into which the Bible was written. Now, you know, don't you, that half the Bible was written in Greek, the other half was written in Hebrew. That's not quite true. A little bit of it was written in Akkadian, but that's another uh, story. The Old Testament basically was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in Greek. But even the Greek writers are only thinking Hebrew thoughts in Greek. So Paul, who's a Jew, and Jesus, who's a Jew, and all the other New Testament writers, they're translating Hebrew thought into Greek words. They're borrowing Greek words, but it's Hebrew thought. And that Hebrew thought is Mediterranean thought. It's Mediterranean Eastern thought. An ancient Mediterranean Eastern thought and an understanding of society was far more collective and communal than ours. The difference, as I've already said, between something that's a me-centered culture and an us view of life. Now put that uh, uh, Oasis logo on uh, the screen there, because you see it all the time, and you know the kids in the two Oasis schools in this community, as well as the Oasis schools around the country, and people living in Oasis houses right now in, uh, you know, around the country, everybody right now around the world, the leaders of our countries are, are here, but you know, the work's continuing at this very moment in all of those countries, and this logo is everywhere. This logo is everywhere. It's the badge that's, ri- that's on uh, the sweatshirt or the blazer of each of the kids in anything we do anywhere in the world. And what it says is this. It says we're one. We're together. We call it our messy O, or we call it our O of inclusion. I often say to people, it's our theology. It's our philosophy in a circle. It's about us together. It's many-stranded. And it's messy because it's many-stranded. But because it's many-stranded, it's stronger. Its strength is its messiness because we're all part of this thing uh, together. This is how deeply this gets into our worldview. This is what uh, uh, Clive read to us in English. And then we heard it in Russian. And then we heard it in Portuguese. And Dave said I'd explain the difference. You see, language boxes you in. That's what I was saying. Um, You know, I'd love a hot dog. You know, I'll have a hot dog. Means different things in different contexts to different speakers. Because they're actually speaking different languages. If you followed the reading, those of you who did, in Portuguese as well as English, I won't pick on you by asking you what the difference was. But actually, when I tell you what the difference was, you will go, ah, of course. And if you listen to this in Russian, you would have picked up the same difference. But you can read this in English a thousand million times, and you will never see it. Because it's impossible to see in English. 
modern English, that is. Let me read it to you. I always thank God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. For in him you've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and all kinds of knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await uh, our Lord Jesus to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our problem is that ever since 300 years ago, we dropped this word, ye. The thous and the yees, etc., etc. But because we dropped ye from the English language, we have drifted from our moorings. We've drifted a long way from our moorings. Because the word ye is the plural, or was the plural, in Shakespearean times, etc., 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 for the word you. Ye is the second person plural personal pronoun in Old English. The second person plural, ye. But because we have no ye... We're stuck with you for the singular and for the plural. So, here we are. Ye is the second person plural. So, here is verse 9 of the text I just read to you. God is faithful by, uh, by whom... Uh, let's get them both up. Let's read the bottom first. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Christ Jesus our Lord. But you see, in Old English, that's the King James Version above it, God is faithful by whom ye, us, we were called into the fellowship of his son, Christ Jesus our Lord. What modern English does is it individualizes everything and it makes everything introspective. So read that bottom version, which is from the NIV, uh, the the New International Version of the Bible, the one that Clive read to us. God is faithful and he's called you, me. He's called me into fellowship. We've ended up with an individual faith. It is true, utterly true, that if you read the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament as we call it, There is nothing whatsoever about individual faith or salvation within it. It's all to do with us, completely and absolutely and fully, without leftover, without doubt. That's not my view. Well, it happens to be my view. But it is the view of every single scholar who's ever studied Old Testament texts. And what Jesus and others do is they take, as I've said, Hebrew thought and they place it in Greek words to communicate to a new audience. This is about us. It's about we. It's together, not alone. That has huge ramifications in all sorts of ways, actually. But one of them, one of them I'd like to talk about just briefly is this. Here is the contemporary gospel. 
Our contemporary gospel, the good news that God wants to communicate to us, we're told. Our contemporary gospel is primarily information on how to go to heaven after you die. Pray this prayer, believe this stuff, show up at church, you know, do all that kind of stuff, and you will go to the good place when you snuff it. Unlike all the other people who, because they didn't do these things and didn't believe the right things, won't. So, our contemporary gospel is primarily information on how to go to heaven after you die. With a very large, a large footnote about increasing your personal happiness and success through God. You see? I'm going to go to heaven after I die and I believe all the right things and I feel happy and enriched. And God will bless me. Heard that before? With a small footnote about character development. That's not half as important as having prayed the prayer and being a Christian and being counted in and not out and on the right side and not the wrong side. As long as you... you, Have you heard people say about someone who's very ill or dying, are they a Christian? Are they born again? Have they prayed the prayer? Rather than, have I lived my life the best way? The best way. A small footnote about character development. I don't know if you can see the next one even. It says, with, an e- with a smaller footnote about spiritual experience. I believe the right things. I'm in the right crowd. Spiritual experience, well, it's just about believing the right things. Rather than life I lead. With a tiny little, you won't be able to read this unless you've got very good eyesight. It's like going to the opticians, this, isn't it, really? With an even smaller footnote about social and global transformation. Our contemporary gospel is primarily information on how to go to heaven when you die. With a large footnote about increasing your personal happiness and success through God. With a small footnote about character development. With an even smaller footnote about any spiritual experience. And a tiny, tiny little footnote about social and global transformation. And that is because of the way that we've governed the world. The self, the introspective, individualistic approach to life puts the self at the centre. If you read magazines about spirituality, because most of them have got a page on spirituality now, you, you, you know, I'm sure you know. If you analyse what that page is telling you, it's saying, do this, behave like this, do these exercises, breathe in, breathe out, sit down, chill, relax. I'm not knocking any of those things, but what is missing from them all is any reference to anyone else. Check it out. We've even taken on Eastern religions and we've westernized them to produce the yogas, etc., etc., that benefit us. But it ends with us, the self. And then comes church in our, in, for us. You know, church doesn't enter into this for lots of people, but then comes church. So because I'm obsessed with myself, I t- choose a church that meets my needs. You know, I like a church that's got the kind of band that sings my kind of songs. Fortunately, very fortunately, we've got Paul who sings everybody's kind of songs. (laughs) Paul, you're great. Paul is great. (laughs) He is great, as I was telling Paul before we began, actually. But I go to a church that sings my kind of songs. I like my kind of liturgy. I like my kind of chairs. I don't like a church building with hard pews. I like a building with soft chairs. I like the kind of church that serves real coffee. (laughs) 
I like the kind of church that's got my age group in. I like the kind of church where I'm made to feel that I matter. I like the kind of church that doesn't ask too much from me. I don't like the kind of church where the vicar talks for too long. I don't like the kind of church where they got the wrong kind of lighting or the wrong kind of ambience. You see, it's an extension of myself. So church becomes another element or dimension of our individualism and our consumerism. We consume something until we don't like it anymore, until someone challenges us, until there's some difference. I'm always saying that church is a discussion. Let me say again, you're not, um, I happen to be at the front with the microphone right now, but the point isn't that I say it and you believe it. It's that I say it and we debate it. And we think about it together and we journey forward together and I learn from you and you learn from me. We learn from each other. That's the point. That's always the point. Self, church and the world. It's quite incredible, isn't it, that you can often uh, be in a church and the prayers become all about us and me and we and what we want. It's an amazing thing. And a person's prayers can become prayers about what they're after. Oh, Lord, do this for me. If you do that for me, if my car passes its MOT, I promise to give to charity. Do you know, kind of like, it becomes about us rather than how we serve. So here's a modern worship song. I'm not knocking this song at all. I'm not knocking this song, but here it is. Many of you will know it. So here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. But it's not just modern songs, it's older songs. In fact, we're going to sing an old traditional song at the end of the service in just a while. And, and uh, Paul chose it, and I told him uh, what the theme was. And it's a brilliant song, you'll love it. It's one that everybody knows. And Paul just told me earlier, uh, uh, before we started, because I said, why don't you switch it? Because it's, it's all individualistic. Why don't you just switch it? And he said, yeah, I'll do it. And then Paul told me it was like hours of work just to go through it to make it about us and not me or you. The problem with all of this is it's a broken down way of seeing the world. So here's a, here's a, I was talking to Hazel, my good friend Hazel, just earlier. You know when Dave told us to talk to each other, Hazel and I was, were talking together. And we were both talking about how when you most need community, that's the hardest point to engage with community. That's when I want to stay at home. Hazel was saying that's when she wants to give up. You know, she, you know she, she, Hazel's brilliant, I must tell you, and the, all the volunteering that she does in, in this place and Johanna and all sorts of it's amazing. But Hazel was just saying to me, you know, when she gets down, she really doesn't want to engage. Do you feel like that? But Hazel's got the maturity to say, but it's at the very point when I don't want to engage that I know that I must engage because it's at that point when I want to walk away It's at that very moment when I need to engage the most. I feel exactly the same. I know, um, here's a fallacy in our culture. You see, I'm a church leader. It's Sunday morning, you know. Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, all around the country. Every church leader has, by definition, to be on top of it. Whatever's going on in my life, whatever struggles there are, come Sunday morning, regularly, every Sunday morning of the whole year, I've got to be bouncing. 
Because that's what's expected of a church leader. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And it leads us all into a place of utter falsehood based on an individualism, which isn't what the Bible ever calls us to. Because it calls us to we, not I. If you really want to know, on a scale of one to ten, how's this week been for me? About four. Perhaps three. Um, If you really want to know, yesterday afternoon I was sat in a meeting and I was down to about a two, you know, just like, just hanging on. If you really want to know about this morning, I got up and I had to do a whole load of uh, uh, things for our schools around the the country. Uh, Before I got to really engage with this morning, and you kind of drag yourself out. If you really want to know, my three or four went up to about five or six sitting talking to Hazel. Because we need each other. That's why so often people say, the formal piece of our service is over, now go grab a cup of coffee with someone. And people go, no, I'm hurrying off. I've been here to worship God and I'm hurrying off. Well, actually, we've already translated the Bible into a foreign culture at that point. Now, that's not to force a cup of coffee on tea drinkers. (laughs) The coffee's incidental. It's the being together, to encourage one another, to put your arm around someone, to hear them, to actually listen to them, to hear what they're saying, what their story really is, to focus on them, to be other-centered. That's it. And this, there's the worldview that we produce. This produces a different worldview. The self becomes part of the bigger community. And we become part of the world. Instead of it being, if I flick back through, about me and everything else is subsidiary to me, it's the other way round. I fit into a community that carries me. Now here's the funny thing. With a faith that's here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here's my vision, here's what I'll do, here's my big thing, You can't do it. It doesn't work. Have you realized that? I'm old enough to know that. I hope you're old enough to know that. All the energy in the world cannot carry you through. There are some times when I am carried by you and this community, and there are some times when you'll be carried by this community. That's what community is. That's what Asher's illustration was all about. But we put leaders on pedestals and then they fall off the pedestals and then we write terrible stories about how they've fallen. When we never carried together what was going on. I am not always bouncing up. I am always, I hope, committed to serving. And you're not always bouncing up. But our commitments, in the end, as Hazel said so wisely to me, overcome our emotions. In the end, our destiny is about our theology, not our mood. If your life is driven by your mood, you'll be all over the place. 
if your life is driven by the narrative you live in, the we story, the ye story rather than the you story, then we go differently. So our prayer is to see the world transformed, (laughs) what Jesus calls the kingdom of God. It's not about me. In the end, I will simply be a line in history, a short line in history. Who knows how soon that will happen or not. In the end, you will be a short line in the history of everything you're involved in. This history is about seeing a world transformed and the legacy we lay down. And the legacy we lay down isn't about the big things we do. It's about all the little things that we're constantly committed to. It's about the conversation you have, the text message you send, the phone call you have, the love that we show, the respect that we give, the listening that we do, the actually seeing that we do of the other instead of shuffling around in our self-centered world. And that, of course, is simply that. That is part of what this circle is about. That is part of what we are. We are together. It's us. And in that strength, we find our purpose. So as I conclude, to tell you one more thing about this circle. It's not just us. It's the circle that's created because we're all, every one of us, made in God's image. And that actually is what Paul was talking about in those first few verses of 1 Corinthians that were read to us. We are together in Christ, all of us in God's image. Look around you. Enjoy a coffee with someone later, a conversation. Unless you've got to be at your mum's or your aunt's or, you know, whatever it is, or catch the bus quick because you've got a deadline this afternoon, or, and all those things happen. Stop, linger, speak with someone, engage with someone. For in the other, we discover God in all of God's disguises. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you that we are made in your image. That each one of us is unique, special, chosen. Help us to hear the stories of each other. Teach us to support, to stand with one another. Help us to find the resilience to stick within community even when we want to be out of community. Teach us again that the only thing harder than being part of community is the loneliness of not being part of a community. This is our prayer together. And through this way of living, we will honor you. Through this way of living, we together will be your people. Hear our prayer. Amen.
You've been listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit www.oasiswaterloo.org.